With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's been a while, guys, but I am finally back. It has been a crazy season for me, um, in a in a good way, I guess. Um, mostly, <laughs> um, I, um, you know, with the uh, COVID restrictions, of course, like most people, um, we are down on umpires, just like every every sport. Uh, is down probably about 30%, and I guess that's what we are around here too. And uh, so it's been challenging at times to find umpires for assigning high school games, and right now I do this um, travel league uh, that plays during the week, and it's been very challenging finding umpires for them because a lot of the umpires that are available are tied up for high school baseball. Um, One of the main assigners I work for, in collegiate baseball, um, had some health issues and was going through some cancer treatments and stuff. So I was also trying to help him, uh, along with, you know, other assigners, uh, to, you know, take care of situations for his games, you know, more like the JUCO stuff and things like that, and, and maybe D3 or whatever where I could, NAIA, that kind of stuff. And I used to be under the impression that, oh, it's college umpiring, right? You know, everybody... You know, it's just going to jump on whatever game is given to him because that's kind of the way I am. I don't know about you guys that do college ball, but if I'm open and you send me a game, I don't care what level it is, I'm, I'm going to take it, you know. And uh, I'm almost afraid not to take it because, you know, you might not get another game. That's kind of the way it is. That's not the way it is, guys. Some of the you know same issues that we deal with with lower-level, you know, youth ball, High school ball is the same for collegiate assigning as well. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that was surprising to me. So, you know, there's games that you can't fill. There's games that you, you can't ask somebody to drive 120 miles to work a Juco doubleheader. I mean, they might do it. You can ask them, but it's not really fair to do that. And sometimes there's schools you have to say, hey, there's nobody within 100 miles to do your game. You know, and you got to figure out something else. I've had to tell high schools that. They're like, oh, well, you know, if we cancel today, can we play on Thursday? Nope, there's nobody available. We can't play on Thursday. I literally have no baseball umpires available. So um, it's been a challenge. You know, the assigning stuff has been, been, been challenging this whole year and, you know, it's worn me out at times. Um, it's one of the reasons why it's been um, difficult to jump on here and do a podcast um, I've been thinking about it quite a bit, and I know people have, you know, sent me messages and emails and such, and uh, asking things, and I'd like to get to some of those things, um, maybe this episode, but definitely in some future episodes. But this week, you know, things, this is the last week of conference play for uh, West Michigan High School Baseball, so things are going to start calming down a little bit. They start the state tournament, and um, it will be a little bit easier to... Uh, to find a little time to do this now and then. And plus, you know, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher and next week is my last week of school. So I'll have a little bit of time here and there to do that. So with full-time teaching, with, um, you know, trying to have some time with your family as well. And then, uh, I was umpiring a lot of, um, college baseball this year, um, more so than high school. I've only done a, a handful of high school games. I'm doing some recently here and some for the, uh, state tournament. But I did over 50 games for um, college ball. And um, 
you know, I guess I was kind of lucky for the you know this whole COVID thing kind of worked out because there's some people that aren't working, and there were some opportunities, and I got some opportunities. I, I thought there was no chance I was going to work any Division One baseball games this year. Um, the information that was sent out was, you know, basically the guys at the bottom tier of things. You know, there was not going to be many midweek games and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, that's just what it is, I guess. You know, maybe next year. That's just the way it goes. You know, kind of stinks, but uh, what, what are you going to do about it, right? You just move on and work what you get. I got in a, a D2 series, you know, um, in the preseason, and I was pleased with that and some other solid games. And, you know, I'm just happy to work with whatever I can, especially after th- 2020, right? But um, I got lucky to work a... Um, uh, Mid-American Conference uh, doubleheader, um, you know, because somebody had a COVID situation and I got to work, you know, the Sunday doubleheader um, and things went fine. I didn't screw anything up. I guess that's always the case, right? Not to screw something up majorly. I held my own. And then, uh, you know, I thought, well, that's cool, man. I, I got a couple games, you know. And then a week or so later, um, you know, the D1 assigner sent me a message asking if I could go to uh, you know northern illinois to work a, a weekend series and i said yeah heck yeah i can do that so i got that all worked out and went and did that and uh didn't screw up <laughs> okay um at least nothing majorly right i mean you know i was uh, luckily I, I had been working quite a bit of three-man because the miaa the division three conference here in michigan um went the three-man for this year they're normally a two-man conference um but they did that because they covid tested you right before you know an hour and a half before each game and if somebody tested positive then they'd have two umpires and which this did happen one time by the way and of course i was scheduled to work you know third base and first base and had to do a plate so (laughs) but uh, most of the time it worked out fine you got to work three man and you and you worked it around so i got quite a bit of experience i worked uh i don't know i mean it was between I don't know, 15 plus games maybe uh three man you know during doing that kind of stuff you know double headers and such and so when i got the opportunity to work the uh, three man for the d1 um i was much much more comfortable and actually had gotten to the point where i kind of knew where i was going i mean my body was just kind of heading in the right way you know how that is with two man right um there was that point where you didn't really know what you're doing and then eventually you could just go out there and you're almost on autopilot i mean you gotta be thinking i'm not saying you're not thinking but you you just kind of go where you're supposed to go you just know it you just react correctly and uh i'm sure for a lot of guys that work three man they do that all the time and, and i'm sure four man is like that as well um okay i have to think a lot still when i'm working three man and i am definitely susceptible to screwing things up don't get me wrong but i'm less likely to at this point so that was nice um, and, uh, so I went and worked that series in Northern Illinois and, um, didn't mess up and came back and was working my other stuff. And, and I got another opportunity to work, uh, uh, an added midweek, a D1 midweek game. And, um, actually I got the plate on that one with three man crew and went and worked that and didn't mess up either, I guess, you know, I did well enough. Uh, that nobody said anything <laughs> that's really the case whatever level you're moving to right like you know tonight for example as i'm doing this i'm going to work a, a high school game i'm it's just a single game doing the bases and working with a newer guy and he's gonna take the plate and he's a little nervous you know and it's, i just told him i was texting with him i'm like it's just a baseball game you just go and you do the best you can and you, you call your strike zone and you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, and you have to kind of, uh, there's always that point where you move to another level. At least I hope there is, right? Um, and you just have to take the bull by the horns and go do it. And I hope it works out and just try to have as much confidence as you can. That's the only way I know how to do it. I mean, I've been lucky enough to move up levels along the way. And uh, that's the way I look at it. And with this... D1 stuff, I mean, yeah, I was a little nervous, but I wasn't really that nervous. I think part of it, too, is that I'm a little older now, you know? I'm not, like, 25 years old or something and and, and kind of naive about certain things. I know I only have so many more years that I can umpire. I'm, I'm more on the 
the second half of my career than certainly on the first half of it. And um, I, I know that, um, you know, I've wanted these opportunities. I feel like I'm prepared. And so I just go and, and do my job. And it doesn't seem like such a big deal. A few years ago, if I would have gotten these opportunities, I would have been more... Um, more, I don't know, more excited or something, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying I wasn't excited and, and, and I'm proud that I've accomplished certain things that I have, but it just kind of, when it's the right time, you just go and you do it. And it doesn't really seem like a big deal to do it. Uh, that's all I'm saying, I guess. And you know that. And it's important not to move to whatever level it might be for you too quickly. Because if you do, and then you don't do well, you might not get those opportunities again. So it is important. I, I've, I've been on the slow track, I guess, compared to others that I know. And um, I have to say that at times, maybe that bothered me a little bit, you know. But I always thought, well, you know, if I get the chance, then I'll just do the best I can with it. And I'm always, I don't, I don't ever want anybody to, like, give me something. Just, you know, like out of pity or something like that. I want to earn it. I want somebody to give me an assignment, whatever level it might be, because they think I'm good enough and I deserve to be at that position and at that spot and that they think I'm capable. That that means a whole heck of a lot more than than if, you know, you're just kind of begging for it and then somebody's like, fine, well, I'll give you a shot. And then you mess it up, you know, and you really weren't because you hadn't come along at the right pace it's a it's a thing that's um you know been a problem i think with our culture and our society for a long time i mean as a high school teacher i see that it's hard for for uh young people uh in particular to you know have some patience and and do the work that goes into making it to a certain level um and we know umpiring is very very difficult you know it's as difficult or more difficult than any sport to officiate and so you have to put in the hours, right, and put in the time, you know, go to the camps and uh, make the mistakes at the lower level so that as you move up, you just you just kind of gain that confidence and you just kind of do things the right way. I'm not saying that I can't go screw something up because I certainly can, but I'm way less likely to do that now than I was just a few years ago, you know, even like, you know, three years ago, let's say. So I'm at a better spot. I think it's moved at the right pace. You know, if I was I was kind of on the slow train, not on the bullet train to getting some D1 stuff and some higher level things. Um, and, I, and I'm very happy that I was at this point, you know. So things might look good for next year. Who knows, right? But I'm also at the point where I just kind of take what I have and I'm happy with what I get. And I'm not going to whine about it, <laughs> you know, if I don't get something. I, I don't really expect anything. I know I know how to read the situation. I know that I could, you know, get some D1 stuff next year or whatever it might be or some other D2 stuff. Who knows? I might, might get some things. I got invited to a four-man four invite camp down in India in July, which I'm very proud to go and. Hopefully I'm not over my head down there. And so that might, um, you know, open up some possibilities for me if I can perform down there and prove myself. It's all about that now. It's all about proving you deserve a, a spot and some opportunities. But this is what I've been working for, right, for for years now. So might as well just go and do the best I can. I've been studying my four-man stuff you know, every other day so far, and I'm going to keep doing that, watching on TV, I'm trying to watch games that are using four-man as much as possible, particularly college games, and which is easy right now with the uh, conference tournaments and, um, you know, soon-to-be College World Series stuff going on. Um, so I just, you know, just take what I can get, and um, I hope it works out. I mean, so far it's been working, so I feel very lucky. You know, last year when everything got canceled and I had a couple non-cons that I had on my schedule for the first time, I was really bummed. If you go back and listen to some of my episodes, I'm sure you can hear the disappointment in my voice. Um, 
But this last year year plus has really taught me that, you know, you just got to take things day by day. And you don't know how things are going to work out. There are different opportunities that just pop up. One thing looks crappy one minute and you think it's like, man, I got, I got hosed over on this thing. And then you turn around and a few days later, things are looking all right. So you don't know. You just got to keep your head down, do your job hope it works out and hopefully people notice what you're doing and you're doing the right things if you are people will notice you'll you'll be talked about you'll be heard you'll be seen in a certain way you know i hear that i have some young high school umpires guys that are like college age guys you know in the early 20s let's say and a couple of them i haven't had a chance to see but i've heard good things about them you know it gets back to to your assigners this guy's good. Yeah, I'd like to work with him again. He, he, you know, he's the real deal. You know, you you have those people that they'll say that to you. I know sometimes it's very competitive, and some guys aren't going to do that. But you know, when you get the veterans at, at whatever level you might be working, that um, are comfortable where they're at, they kind of know what it is and where they what they are. Like I, I feel like I know that. I know what I am. You know, I, I'm not going to be going to the College World Series or something. Okay, I know where I'm at. I've been around and. And I've accomplished some things, and hopefully I'll accomplish a few others. But I am what I am, and I'm not, like, trying to, like, outdo somebody all the time. And so, you know, there's good high school umpires that do that as well. They know where they're at. They've accomplished some things, and and they're willing to promote and help uh, some newer and younger guys. I always say newer, too, because, you know, you might get that 40-year-old guy that just, you know, wants to try umpiring, which is great. I mean, you you can do that for 20 years if you want to. And we need those people. So when you have people that recognize that the officiating business here is really short on people at all all sports. You know, I don't care if you're football, basketball, lacrosse, I don't know what it is. But everybody needs officials. And we know for well, there's lots of reasons why that is the case. Um, but um, that doesn't really matter, all the reasons. The, the main problem is that we need people. And so we've got to get people involved. It's great to get younger people because hopefully they stick around. But man, if you can get somebody that was a you know their former coach or something, and they have a, a feel for the game and they want to umpire, I have a guy that is like that too. That he was a former um, baseball coach, high school baseball coach, and he started umpiring this year. He got a ton of games because you can get a lot of games right now and, and make some money if that's something you want to do too. Um, and he's had a good season, but he's had some up and downs. Like I had one situation with him. He was talking about um, he, he ended up doing a freshman game by himself, which we've had to do that um, on a few occasions because we don't have enough guys. So we had two upper-level kind of teams, you know, bigger schools. The parents were being, you know, rowdy, but there's only so much you can do about that. Um, but the players were and coaches were complaining about the strike zone, and he had a situation that uh, came down near the um, tail end of the second game of his two-five inning doubleheader, and uh, a kid uh, like f-bombed him or something like that. And I was talking to him on the phone, and I was like, "Did you did you run him?" <laughs> and he's like, "No." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I think the you you younger younger or less experienced guys out there." I think you're afraid sometimes to eject somebody because you think you might get in trouble. But and if you've done it the right way, if you've warned somebody and uh, you can back it up, then you're not going to get in trouble. And also, I'm almost more irritated with people when a, when a player or a coach really deserves it and should be ejected and then they don't eject them. I'm almost more irritated with that because then I feel like those that that person – that didn't get ejected, it feels like they can get away with it. And and then they'll do that again. Okay, so I, I don't like that. So we talked about, I'm like, hey, have you ever ejected anybody? Nope, never has. Okay, so we talked about giving ball strike warnings and how this goes and, um, and that there are certain situations where an immediate ejection is acceptable, like when somebody F-bombs you and uses you and stuff like that about your ball strike calls and stuff especially after you kind of gave him he didn't give him an official ball strike warning but he told him to stop complaining about balls and strikes and then he gets up bombed okay well the kid's got to be ejected okay and that would be the scholastic 
lesson of the day is that you can't do that and that, you know, you got to sit out a game too because, you know, you, you can't control yourself. So, yeah, I mean, you know, those are things that, um, that you learn along the way, but sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta have people you can talk to and people that can help you through it. Of course, if you would have had a partner there, that would have been a little bit more helpful. But um, you know, we're in the the day and age where that sometimes is very difficult to do, and, and I have experienced that on numerous occasions. So you know, it's been a crazy year, but so far it's been a good year. You know, now I enter into the summer season. Be working some of the summer collegiate around here and trying to help out with the uh, the travel tournaments and the travel games that happen during the week. Try to spend some time with with my family and uh, maybe do a little traveling. And you know, sometimes you got to get away from all this stuff at times. And you know, you make some money doing it, so you got to spend it on something to make it worthwhile. I feel like at times and. Um, you know, refresh myself a little bit and kind of get that second wind. Hopefully also put out some of these podcasts about some topics. I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I can talk about um, that happened during the season um, that I've been thinking about. And um, I've always been meaning to get back to this. I, you know, it's not like I just gave it up, but, you know, sometimes life gets in the way, especially, uh, Teaching high school in this COVID year has been um, extremely challenging, okay, and has not necessarily left me with an enormous amount of time to uh, to do that because I always have to carve out a certain amount of time, you know, an hour here and there to kind of put things together because, you know, I, I record all the stuff and then I've got to kind of, you know, edit it all together and make it into a, uh, a decent sounding podcast with the, the kind of format that I like. So I've got a few things here that I'm going to be talking about um, as far as some of the big topics that I noticed and experienced from this past year of umpiring, mainly collegiate games, and um, what I feel about that. And you can feel free to to email me or um, leave a message uh, through the platform, uh, whatever way you want to, or on Facebook. And I'll be happy to try to get to those things as well. I'm going to be a little more conscious about all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you listening. You've already been listening to me for a little bit now. So I guess you must must like it all right. And uh, hopefully I'll have a few other things that you'll find um, worthwhile as well. Hello and welcome to finally another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I am your host, Kevin Weber, and it's been a while, I know. I'm sorry for those that are ardent listeners and have been waiting for me to put out another podcast. In my first segment, you'll you'll hear some of the reasons why that might be the case and uh, what the plans are for the future, but I am back. The train has come into the station and we're ready to roll with another podcast, finally. So I've got several sections of this podcast and little segments for you. Um, the initial segment about uh, you know what I've been doing lately. Um, some takes. Uh, another segment on uh, takes of college umpiring this past season and different things that have happened. Uh, I answer some listener questions that have been sent to me. Um, some of them. A while back, but you know I'm going to get to them. I don't want to let some people down, so I've got a, at least a couple of those segments there, and then a little umpire spotlight to kind of finish things off. So um, hopefully you guys are are still fans of the podcast and willing to listen to a new episode. And uh, hopefully I'm going to put this one out and have some interesting things for you to think about, and uh, get a few new ones out in the coming weeks as well. So sit back for another episode of. The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So I'd like to talk for a few minutes about uh, some of the the bigger changes that I experienced this year in collegiate umpiring. And uh, those two things would be the, um, the complete implementation of the 22nd uh, pitching timer, which was, you know, a rule last year, but considering um, my season ended before it started, I didn't really get to do that. And then uh, having to wear 
a mask, a face mask, you know, for COVID uh, regulations uh, throughout the season for all college games. So first of all, uh, we'll talk about the masks, which I certainly hope is not going to be the case next year. Hopefully we'll be through all this stuff and hopefully back to some kind of normalcy. But, um, you know, on the basis, it wasn't usually too bad other than sometimes maybe you got a little bit of a a weird tan line, I guess, if the sun was out. But up here in the in the, the northern climates, like I'm in Michigan, um, sometimes it was nice to have the mask on when you were working the bases. Um, you know, kept your face a little bit warmer. You know, if you're wearing a gaiter, which I did sometimes, you could pull it up over your ears a little bit, and uh, it wasn't wasn't too bad. You know, um, you can talk under your breath a little bit if something wasn't going so well in the game or the pitcher couldn't find the strike zone or something and nobody really noticed anything, you know. Uh, so that wasn't so bad. Wearing it uh, while working the plate, which you were supposed to do, and I know some guys um, kind of skimped out on that from time to time, but I usually did. I had a, I, I always wore a mask that went around my ears so that it would stay in place, and I had like a, a neoprene kind of mask that I wear. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't great. I mean, I got used to it. Sometimes it would bunch up in a weird way or it might get a little too close to your eyes or something. Or if you, you know, had to cover third or, you know, had to move around a little bit more, you know, to get to a certain spot, um, you'd be more easily out of breath because, you know, it's harder to breathe through that stuff. But I got through it and um, it was okay. You know, since I've been doing uh, high school ball here in Michigan, they don't require you to wear any mask at, at all now. So that's been quite nice. Um, so that was, you know, not as bad as I thought it might be uh, with the mask. When I first heard about that, I thought, man, this is really, really, really going to stink. And it wasn't great, but it, it wasn't as bad as I thought. The timer. Okay, so they put that rule in before. It was supposed to be in last year. And um, a lot of guys like myself uh, got one of the box timers that are specifically set for uh, umpiring. Kind of like they use for football. Well, not kind of exactly the same machine, I guess, or same device. But, it's, you know, got the 120-second uh, countdown, the one direction for, you know, in between innings. And then it's got the 20-second uh, in the other direction. And... Um, you know, if you're working the bases or uh, you're working third base, if you're working with a, you know, three or four guy crew, then uh, you had to be keeping track of it. And I got, you know, I got used to doing that. At first, that was a little weird. I, I did not like it when the timer would go off and it started buzzing, uh, particularly if I had to, you know, make a call. Like if a guy was stealing second base and the thing's buzzing when the throw's going down, that, that was not cool. Um, and so early on, I didn't really, you know, I'd, I'd let it keep going. But basically, the way the rule reads, uh, once the pitcher comes set, you can turn it off. Because if he steps off without, you know, trying to drive the guy back or, you know, make some kind of something that's some kind of play on the runner, uh, then it's a violation. So, you know, you, you have it going and then, you know, he comes set and you could just kind of reach over and click it to the middle neutral area and let the play go and then if he does that then there you go um i had to call in my games i think twice i called the 22nd violation never got it a second time where I, the he, the pitcher was issued you know a ball um so you know it wasn't too bad i mean you know the, the, you gotta wait for people to get set you know, if you're doing it the right way you wait for people to get set and um, then he comes set. There, there's always a few guys. There was a few guys here and there that you know, you can just feel that it's like they're going to be pretty close. But they would usually do it. And, of course, you know, like anything, you know, they talk about, you know, you don't want to be picking boogers or something like that on, on stuff. If it's pretty dang close, there you go. Now, I know some of the big, bigger schools, you know, in the big conferences. Like, for example, I was watching U of M on TV, you know, University of Michigan. And they have the 22nd clock there. I don't know exactly how that all works, if it's connected to the umpire or if there's a separate person working at it. I bet you it's connected to the umpire. Seems like it should be. But if people can see it, then you really got to, you know, 
come down on it when when it's violated but if it's just you and the guy was you know maybe half a second off or something like that and you know it all matters when you started it or stopped it and stuff too so you can give a little grace to it then it's not too bad um i know that there are some guys um that you know maybe fudge a little bit on it you know they maybe just uh put their hand there and act like they're doing it i i guess that's okay if you're i mean you know you never know who's watching you uh, if you're on tv of course people I've, I've watched on tv and i've seen people doing it you know like they should be um if the guy's just getting the ball he's getting the sign and he's throwing and it's never close you know like he's throwing it within 10 seconds of basically getting it um then you can you know i guess it's okay to maybe go through the motions a little bit um but you know it's the rule and we're expected to uh uphold it and do it the right way and everybody should do it otherwise you know what's the use in having it i mean it, it, does it uh speed the game up that much i don't know maybe a little bit i don't know how much of a difference it makes but um you know it, it's been a, i think that's a good thing i'm glad that the committees that are trying to get the the pace of play moving forward or doing something they're trying stuff so it doesn't hurt the pace of play um i think people get confused with the rule they don't quite understand it they know it's there the first times it was called I, i've talked to other umpires you know there was a bit of confusion with it particularly this year some people felt like it was put in this year but not realizing there was really going to be in last year uh one of my d1 games uh it, it was i called it and the coach like what rule's that <laughs> he doesn't even know the rule so um you know what, what can he do i mean they're supposed to check out all the new rules and know all that stuff anyway but i guess you know just like uh, umpires some guys don't check things out like they should so those two things i, I think they went pretty smoothly overall um and they seem like they're always trying to do some tweaks uh, one of the things i liked about the covid re um, regulations that we had is that you know the coaches had to go to the 45 uh foot line on either side or roughly where the 45 foot line would be if you're on the third base side and meet coaches there you know it's been an old school thing in baseball where the coach can you know rush out there to the middle of the field and get in the umpire's face about whatever and that's the way it's been for 100 plus years you don't really you don't see that in um in any other sport think of any other sport you watch do you see a coach rushing out to the middle of the court to uh you know talk to a basketball referee no, if you did that, you're going to get teed up and you're going to have some trouble. You don't see football coaches doing that. I mean, they might be yelling at them, but they're over there on the sideline. If they get out too far onto the field, they're going to get a flag, right? Hockey coaches don't jump out on the ice and go, you know, yell at the uh, the head linesman or the referee or somebody out there, right? They don't do that stuff. So, same, you know, baseball is like really the only sport that seems to allow that. And if we can get coaches and umpires to be in um a certain spot i think that that is i think that's a good move for baseball definitely for college baseball but i think any level for that matter and i know they sent out a survey the ncaa did and i i took it and they asked that question if you think that that should be still implemented once all the covid restrictions are gone which hopefully they are next year i think it should uh, i like that i don't i don't you know if i'm working second base and there's a you know close steel play and the guy doesn't like it I don't need a guy running down past the mound and getting in my face there. I can I can walk over and meet him at the 45-foot line and discuss it. And I think that kind of calms people down at times. And, and I, I think that that's not a bad thing at all, all right? Just like if there's something in basketball, you see them, they go to the scoring table, they talk to him there, they tell him what's going on. They might not like it, and then they go back. They don't rush out into the middle of the court or something like that. So I think we do need to get away from that in, um, in baseball, and I, I hope college baseball keeps that, and I hope it trickles down to other areas of, uh, of baseball too, all right? So there's always those... Um, there's, there's silver linings with all the COVID stuff. And I, I try to look for those things. I know there's a lot of negative, a lot more negative for sure. But if we can look at those things and improve a few things, I think that um, in the end, maybe it was worthwhile. Over the last few months that I've been not producing these podcasts, I've gotten a few questions uh, from listeners that I have 
obviously been very slow to respond to, and I, I truly apologize for that. I'm going to try to get to some of those here in this um, episode. That's why this episode's been an extended episode, because it's been a while, right, guys? Um, so there'll be plenty to listen to, hopefully something useful and, and interesting. Anyway, I got a question from Scott Ordway, and he is an umpire in the Sacramento, California area, and a newer umpire, and he's been listening to the podcasts, and I appreciate that, and all the, the past ones. Hopefully, I'll get some new stuff out there for you, and, and I hope that your 2021 has gone well, Scott. But he sent me a question a while back, and he said, as a teacher, how do you, or me as a fellow teacher, move up the ladder for higher level umpiring gigs? Many JUCO or lower NCAA schools play their games on weekdays at 1 p.m. around here. Many fields don't have lights. Uh, that seems to cut out uh, many umpires since not everyone has that flexibility of a schedule. Further, in order to move up, don't guys need to gain experience in lower levels of college baseball? Seems like a tough scenario for a lot of umpires. You're 100% right. It is a tough scenario, and not everybody's situation in their life and their job allows them to do it. There's probably some great umpires out there that never get into umpiring high school or college or whatever. Maybe they're former pros even. Who knows? Because they got a job that does not allow them to do that, and they have bosses or whoever that don't really um, work with them on that kind of stuff too. So as a teacher, obviously um, you're more likely to be able to do high school umpiring because, you know, those games are usually after school gets out. So you're usually looking at like four o'clock or after. And that's why, like you say, because people don't have lights, they have trouble with uh, those double headers getting them in sometimes. Uh, yeah, a lot of college games start one or two o'clock sometimes 3 o'clock um, if they're playing singles. Um, and so that's a tough go. I mean, I guess you, um, you've you got to be in the right situation if you're um, a teacher to have uh, a principal or, um, you know, administration that is uh, understanding of your situation and maybe will work with you and, uh, you know, give a little leeway on certain things. Um, you know, most of the time if you have a teaching contract, you're not allowed to make money during the school hours by doing something else you know like you can't like take the day off and be a lyft driver or uber driver right <laughs> so and you can't take the day off and go umpire and make that money either you're not supposed to they you could get in trouble they could dock you pay you know i mean that's a violation of your contract at least that's the way most contracts read you'd have to look at your contract that's the other thing you need to do is understand what your your rights are so for me um I've got an understanding administration. Uh, I try not to abuse the situation. Um, I only try, if I have to take some time off, I only want it to be uh, if I'm traveling, because you're allowed to do that. You know, if you're, you can take time off to travel someplace, you know, whatever. You know, it's personal time off. It's a PTO day. Um, and if the game starts, you know, like basically after your school day gets done, um, then you're good to go. You can do that. Now, you don't want to do that all the time and, and some people don't understand that uh, but if you can work that you got to be as transparent as you can with your principal if if you think that they're going to be understanding about it if you're trying to be sly about it you're trying to get around it um, you might have some problems whatever your situation is I think you should just kind of uh, you know you don't want to be like hey I'm a college umpire hey I do this and that hey I I work this game or that game or whatever. I'm not saying you can't talk to people about it, but you don't want to like make a big thing about it and draw attention to yourself, even if you're doing stuff completely correct as far as your contract and everything. You know, just kind of let it go. <laughs> you know? and otherwise, there's some people, they just don't understand um, what it is. And particularly for college umpiring, it's really hard to, to move up. I mean, you're competing with former pros um, for a lot of those jobs. Yeah, you, you do kind of have to start out and um, work, you know, those JUCO games or whatever the lower level games are in your area and prove yourself that you can handle situations and, and obviously call a good game and then uh, hope that you get other opportunities. So, yeah, that for most guys, that takes that can take a few years to do that. Um you know, I, I think uh, 
I think it's good uh, if you're not a former pro to start, you know, at your lower levels uh, for youth ball and then work high school. If, if you're like a guy that's capable of working the, the state finals in your state um, or maybe gets the state finals or something like that, then you're probably uh, capable of working uh, lower level college ball uh, most of the time. Um, and so you start considering that if you've gotten to that level and you've handled those situations and you just kind of go from there and see where, where it takes you. Um, but yeah, you do have to have the right job situation in your life. Um, and I know that changes a lot for, for people. I've been pretty lucky that way. I, I had my principal talk to me about it, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he's behind me on certain things, but I, I've told him that, you know, I want to be as transparent as I can about what I'm doing and I maybe might get some other opportunities here in the future and uh, um, you know I'm not going to abuse the situation I've got to kind of do that because that is how I pay my bills and just like you you know or anybody else out there you know umpiring yeah you can make some really good money but you, you usually can't make a full-time living on that at least I can't <laughs> okay so I've got to have like my, my real job that pays all my bills and, and the umpiring helps with all kinds of other stuff for sure and I, I just love doing it and and the challenge of it all and it's nice to make that extra money as well so yeah you got to find that balance and uh, hopefully your life situation um you know makes it work out for you so i appreciate the question scott um hopefully that answers it or at least that's my opinion so uh let me know what you think So another listener, Michael Baird, uh, sent me a couple of questions a while back. Sorry once again, Michael, for uh, taking so long. But hey, you know, I'm getting to it, right? And he sent me a message via the uh, Facebook group or, you know, from the, the Hammer and Umpire podcast. You can find that on Facebook if you search it. Anyway, he talked about a couple different things, which I'll get to. One of them was family umpire balance. And he said... As a new father, I'm going into my first season, and I'm wondering if you have any tips on finding a balance with spending time with your family and spending time needed to maintain and advance your umpire career. And that's that's a very legitimate and difficult question. Um, you know, there's a thing called like like an umpire officiating widow. It could be an umpire widow too, right? Because there's been plenty of guys. Um, not just umpiring, but any sport that they like to officiate, that have kind of ruined their 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 relationships with their significant others um, because of all the time and commitment that they put into their officiating. So it is something that you need to be concerned about. And, um, you know, I think you, you got to be as transparent as you can. I, I, I'm very lucky. Uh, I've been married for coming up on 26 years now, and my wife is very understanding about it and knows my passion for it. And I guess she she likes the money that I make from doing it too because basically I, I do it, you know, I, I have a full-time job. And so the money I make from it, it pays for vacations or for extra things that we're doing or whatever. I don't like um, hoard the money, you know, myself. I kind of just deposit it into the bank and say, hey, you know, we'll just do whatever you want to do with it. It doesn't really matter because I, I always, you know, if there's something I want, some silly thing I want to get, you know, I, I, for example, I, I collect vinyl records, right? Um, if I want to buy a new record, I could go get it, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. You know, I can kind of do things within within limits that, that are perfectly fine. She's got no problem with that. I know other guys that have uh, like a separate account that they put all their umpire money in. And if you have this worked out with uh, your significant other to do that, that's fine. Um but if it's all about you making the money and then you taking all the money and, and you spending the time away, especially when you have young kids. And I see this with uh, guys that I uh, assign that especially if you have those kids that are, you know, you know, toddlers and infants and stuff. <clears throat> that's a lot of work, too, uh, for your spouse when you're gone. Um, they need 24 hour supervision. You know, somebody's got to be there when they're sleeping. You know, changing diapers and doing all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, even when they're five years old, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that too. 
and you want to be around for your kids. And you see people moving through, you know, their kids are playing sports or they're doing other activities and they want to be a part of that. And if you do officiate, you're going to miss some of that. You have to uh, balance that. The other night, uh, my wife, you know, is also a teacher, so she had to attend graduation for her school. And my daughter has uh, a band concert that same night, and um, I, I did an umpire. I went to the band concert. I'm not always the most excited to go to the band concert. I mean, it's fine. Um, but, you know, it's more important than making some bucks doing a, a high school game or something like that. So you have to, you know, you have to block those things off. And assigners don't really mind that as long as you have a block. When you when you give it back, it, it's always a little bit annoying when, like, oh, well, my kid has uh, their senior night on this night and I can't work. Well, why didn't you block that off? I mean, you know when that stuff is. I mean, you know, if you don't show available, they don't even know. So you just got to take care of that stuff through your assigners and make sure that it doesn't even become an issue. So, yeah, you've got to – there's certain opportunities, though, where – you know, if you can work a higher level game that might get you a future opportunity and it conflicts with something with the family, I guess you just have to be um, open with your significant other and your kids about what what that is and why it's important. And, and then they hopefully will understand that. But if you don't have that understanding going forward, it's going to be a challenge and you're going to probably end up quitting. That's what you're going to do. So... I think my wife sees the benefits of, of me doing it, and I'm gone sometimes. And uh, this past year, I, there was a few weekends I was gone, you know, where you know I've got the hotel wherever I'm at. <clears throat> one time, my daughter and my wife came and stayed one of the nights. The other time, I was just out of, out of, uh, out of state. And that might happen more frequently next year. I don't know. And uh, I don't know how much she's going to like that. But, you know, if it's just for a little while and, you know, you, you got to kind of balance it and uh, make sure that you check in with them and, and do what you can, I think you can do that. I, I, I know, you know, some high-level D1 guys have been doing that for a long time, and they seem to balance that pretty well, and they're still married. So, obviously, they're doing something right. But uh, it is tricky. And so not every person is able to uh, handle that as well as others. So you might have a... a a significant other that it's not going to work with them and you're just going to have to make a decision if you're going to if you're going to umpire or not that's tough um, but that's what it is so you know what's more important i would think your significant other is more important um, but if not i guess then you find somebody else <laughs> i don't know i mean you've got to you know you have those discussions i guess um so yeah, that's a very good question, and it's tough, and, and you sometimes have to make sacrifices, and, and there are sacrifices to your family and your relationships, but um, hopefully you've made enough deposits along the way with them that when you do have to make a withdrawal and you miss something, uh, then it's not as big a deal because you put in the time to do other things. you got to get other things done, you know? I mean, there's I'm sure you have responsibilities around your house and Things you got to do, you can't be, well, I'm just umpiring. So, you know, you can't help with the kids. You can't go to to the grocery store. You can't mow your lawn. I don't know, whatever it is, you got to make sure that you take care of all that stuff um, along with it. And if you can't, then you're going to run into trouble. So that's important. You do need that time, though, that you got to block off because you can get burned out. And uh, there might be certain times where, um, you know, you, you, you just aren't going to be able to work because it's just too much for you you know, too many games in a row or something like that. And you certainly need to block off, like, important birthdays or anniversaries or whatever it might be. Um, just do that stuff ahead of time, you know. And, again, you, you'll save some grief for your, your assigner, too, by doing that ahead of time as well. And like, oh, yeah, this is my kid's birthday. Well, how do you not know that? Hey, right, guys, they took a game on their anniversary. Well, it's my anniversary. My wife went like that. How do you not know your anniversary? I mean, <laughs> I block mine off every year. I mean, it's in July, but, you know, I, I'm not going to work on that. You know, I mean, I know my wife's not like that. Even if your wife says, oh, it's okay. It's not okay, guys. I mean, you just block that thing off and do something, all right? Um, okay, if you're working uh, the College World Series on your anniversary, they, they might understand that. Um, if you're working the Olympics or something or, 
if if uh, your your state state finals happens to fall in your anniversary that year, I guess that's okay. But just working some summer league game or some regular season game, that's not okay. I, I don't think. So you know you got to figure that out. The other question Michael had was about coming back from injury, and he had injured his back uh, the previous uh, August, and had gone through physical therapy and. Um, you know, some treatments and stuff since then, and, you know, was really uh, wondering what it, you know, what he, how to get back into it and, you know, overcome the mental part of coming back from an injury, um, which is tough. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, whatever you want to look at it, I have some experience with this, okay? So, I've had some surgeries over the years. I mean, before I started umpiring, some 15, 16 years ago, whatever, you know, like with high school and college stuff, I had back surgery. I had a spinal fusion, all right? If I ever send you an email or some of you have sent me an email, you, you see my email is like spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com because it's back in 2006. So I guess it is 15 years ago this past March, right? So I had like all kinds of back problems. I was coaching high school baseball and and uh, my back was giving me all kinds of trouble. My low back, I was having, um, you know, major sciatic pain and spasms you know i get up in the morning there was a couple of times where i tried to get out of bed man i was like on the floor and i could barely get up and and finally i had this little fracture at the very you know base of my spine for whatever reason something happened i don't know if it was quite genetic or something else and of course um you know the prognosis was you need to have like we need to fuse it and take that stuff out of there fuse it they went in there i had a couple of uh herniated discs as well that they took care of and it was a long process and I finally came back from that and, and I know a lot of people that have back surgeries it's not successful but mine has been very successful I've been um, doing really well ever since then um, you know some of that is because I've, I've you know watched my weight I did yoga and stuff to try to maintain it I go to a chiropractor I do the things I need to do to try to maintain my health the best that I can um so I'm lucky that way. But since then, I mean, I've had injuries that I, I can kind of directly relate to umpiring. Like I've had surgery on both my knees, all right, from, you know, um, toward meniscus on both of them. They still give me some trouble. Like even this year, they've been giving me trouble, especially when I work a bunch of games in a row because I probably have arthritis and different things in there. And so um, that's always been a challenge. I've had surgery on my knee. I've had uh, surgery on both my calves because uh, I had really tight calves, um, probably a little bit too, you know, big or, you know, I guess a little bit too much muscle there or something. And so they're so tight that, you know, I was worried that I was going to blow my Achilles on either one. So they do, a, I had a gastroc uh, recession on each one. So I've had that. So knee surgeries, ankle surgery, uh, two on my calves, and then my back surgery. <laughs> okay, so I've had all those things. The knee stuff, that's flat out from umpire, man, especially when you used to come in and pivot all the time, mess those things up. And now uh, I don't, I almost never pivot. Uh, you know, I will if it's, sometimes there's a certain situation where it seems like you, you kind of need to pivot. But I just look over my shoulder and see the guy touching first base if I'm coming in from A, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, um, those are times where I've, you know, I've had back spasms at times where, you know, my back acts up a little bit and or it gets a little tight. But I just do the stretching. I, I make sure I loosen up the best that I can. And I've been able to mentally come back from those things knowing that, you know, you can still... It's not always about your, like, your speed or your flexibility when you're umpiring. Um, that's very nice to have, you know, um, but... If you're good at your mechanics for whatever system that you happen to be working and you know where you need to be and you can get there quickly, not necessarily by sprinting fast, but by knowing the best direct route to get to where you need to be, then you can overcome a lot of those things. And, um, you know, knowing that uh, you might, you know, your knees or your back or something might be sore, so you got to stretch out properly and do those kind of things and and, you know, once you get back in there, it's just like, it's kind of like if you got in a car rack and you were scared to get back in the car and drive. And then you start driving, it's just, you know what it is. You know, you've been doing it for a while. You've been calling balls and strikes. Um, you know where your body needs to go. You just got to 
take care of yourself a little bit better when you come back from an injury. And um, it's always nice when you, when you do go through the rehab and different things that you feel better. You're not in pain. I mean, it's nice to be able to you know, run in from A to B and, you know, on a base hit or something. And uh, your knee's not aching and killing you when, once you get to the middle of the diamond, you know. So um, I appreciate that for sure. Um, like even now, I'm going in to see my orthopedic doctor um like next week i believe and uh because i have you know I, I don't like to get pain shots i have a very high pain tolerance that luckily i got from my mother i think and um so i don't believe in like taking a bunch of medicine or this or that or all that kind of stuff but they do have these kind of like i forget what they're called but they're like almost these lubricating shots you can get for any joint but a lot of people get them in their knees and i do too i got them about three years ago and it kind of has almost like the artificial version of the kind of fluid and stuff that you have in your knee that makes it so that it's, you know, um, not a bone-on-bone -bone kind of thing. kind of makes your joint work a little bit better. And so it's like a series of three shots over about three weeks or so. And um, I'm going to see if I can go in and get that. Because I feel like I'm at that point where I need that right now. Because it's just, you know, not it's, it's not an injury pain. There's a difference between injury pain and uh, and just discomfort and soreness and that kind of stuff, and and I I do know that difference. There's a speaking of that. There's a lot of umpires this year because of all the games they've worked. Um, a lot of them working probably 25% more games than they're used to. They're probably working hurt, you know, that had some kind of injury or whatever it might be, and they know that people are short on umpires. And of course, you know, you want to work your games that you're assigned, and you want to make the money that you're hoping to make too. Um, that always does figure into it. So there are people that are kind of working hurt, and they'll do that through the summer and everything too. And that you know, sometimes you know you got to know the difference between, like I say, um, you know, an injury that's pain that you need to really get taken care of, or you know, just discomfort because you know maybe you're just getting older <laughs> or whatever it might be. I know that's sometimes just the case with me. I mean, I'm not 25 years old anymore, so I I think you just got to kind of get back in the saddle. That's really what it is, you know. And, uh, and see, uh, you know, see that you can do what, what you were able to do before. And sometimes an injury or a soreness or something like that, sometimes that can be good. Okay. Sometimes when you're tired, for example, like you just had a, like a long week for some reason and, and you umpire, I'm not saying you're not paying attention cause you're hopefully mentally in it, but if it slows you down a little bit, as far as not being too quick, making calls, whether that's balls and strikes or whether that's on the basis, that's that's kind of a beneficial thing. I had that uh, D2 series a few weeks ago, and we each had two plates. So I had one on back-to-back -back days. I had Saturday and Sunday, like my 7 inning one on Saturday and the 9 on Sunday. And the previous week was like that too. And, um, and I've noticed this before, and I, I kind of – liked it that you know in my nine inning game on sunday after i'd worked those three other games and did a plate um you know i was just you know you're a little tired you know because you've been working a lot of games and it's kind of mentally draining and stuff like that so you get yourself back up and you're ready to go you're giving it 100 percent, but you know you're just a little bit tick slow but sometimes that's okay because you just gotta like you're just taking things in a little bit better so um, I think sometimes that's good. When you're the speed demon guy out there trying to race around, you know, especially when you're working the bases, I think it can be good to just uh, slow it down a little bit. Just get to the spot you need to, get yourself set, see it the best you can, make your call. You know, that's really what you should be doing all the time. But sometimes, um, you know, little nagging injuries can kind of just do that for you. So if that does happen to you, just notice that. And then when you are feeling good, which hopefully you do most of the time, um, you can kind of take that with you and kind of work that into your game. I think that's a good thing to do. So hopefully um, that kind of touches on what you're talking about there, Michael. Um, and uh, I did you justice there. So I'd like to do a quick umpire spotlight because just recently, if you paid any attention to baseball, uh, of late, you should know that Joe West, country Joe West, right, who's quite a character in his own right, and a music star and everything else, um, set the Major League Baseball record 
uh, as the umpire that has umpired the most games in history. Uh, just the other day in Chicago, the Cardinals were visiting, and he umpired his 5,376th regular season games. Not even including all the playoff and World Series games he's done and All-Star games. So that's pretty amazing. And um, it is definitely a record that will probably never be broken again because of the way Major League Baseball is going to soon be training and distributing their umpires throughout the league. It's going to be very difficult for somebody to stay around for as long as Joe West. Um, I think uh, I think there'll be more guys that come through um, as pro umpires, but they'll be around for you know, 10, 15 years or something like that. Um, and then they'll they'll leave and um, have their thing, and uh, maybe they'll go umpire high level collegiate ball or something like that. Who knows what they're going to do? But um, you have the guys that stay for 30, 40 years, uh, like Joe West. <clears throat> that's that's a thing of the past. So all of these guys that are there's just still a handful of them that are around. Um, once he's gone, that's it. And I'm sure there are some people within Major League Baseball that wish Joe West would uh, retire, but he is one heck of an umpire. Um, and from things I've heard from former pros and such, the thing about Joe West, even though he's older, he's not as good a shape as some of these other guys out there, he's always in the right spot to make a call. He always is right where he needs to be and set, and he makes great calls. He's still a, a, an excellent plate umpire. Um, calls a great game, um, even at his age. So a heck of an umpire, definitely the best umpire of this generation. Some people say, oh, he's the GOAT. You can argue that. All right. Um, we know that there are some other great umpires uh, from the past. Bill Clem comes to mind from you know the first generation of baseball. But uh, more recently, I, I would definitely say Doug Harvey in, in my estimation, is still the, the greatest umpire ever um, and changed umpiring for the better in lots of ways as well. But, hey, man, everyone is uh, entitled to their opinion, so go with it, right? I mean, there's no doubt Joe West is right there. There's a, a Mount Rushmore of umpires. Uh, I would say he definitely would be on it. That's an interesting question. What is your your Mount Rushmore of umpires? Um so that would be four guys. Okay, you got to pick. I mentioned a couple here. I'm not going to say what mine are. Maybe I will in my next episode. Um, but uh, feel free to to you know make a comment uh, on Facebook or leave me a comment here. Um, you can do that in the Anchor app. One minute or less, you can say what your Mount Rushmore is. Um, send me a message on Facebook. Send me an email. Whatever you want to do. And I'd, I'd be interested to know what your top four umpires of all time are um i'd assume a lot of them will be major league umpires but you can certainly throw in a non-major league umpire as well if you would like to but it's got to be somebody well known all right so if it's like john bible for example you know the great college world series umpire or somebody like that 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 would be legitimate um he did do some professional ball for a while too but uh so that would be fine but if it's just your you know local umpire that's a great umpire in his area i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but nobody else knows them outside of your area, that's not really going to work. <laughs> okay, so it's got to be somebody that's at least uh, nationally known in some fashion or another. All right, so there you go. What's your Mount Rushmore of umpires? So there you go. Finally, another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. Obviously, you enjoyed it well enough because you, you're listening to the end. Um, I plan to try to get these out. Every two or three weeks or so, if I can here during the summertime, uh, with different things that might be popping up, I'll do my best to be a little bit more consistent and uh, get back on the podcast train here once again. So we brought this one into the station as well, and uh, we're ready to, to roll on to new things, all right? Like I say, you know, my umpiring career has been on the slow train most of the time, um, but I think in the end that's been the best thing for me. And uh, I appreciate, you know, the journey along the way. And I hope that your journey through umpiring is is as good as mine has been so far. I've, I've definitely had a great experience. And baseball in general has been good to me. 
if you want to reach out to me, I'd love that, man. Uh, give me some feedback on whatever I'm talking about or your opinions on something. If you got an idea for a topic you'd like me to touch on, I'll give you my opinion. You might agree or disagree with it, but it is what it is, right? So you can email me, and all the stuff's in the in the show notes if you look there. But it's SpinalFusion06 at Yahoo.com. That's a good email to reach me at. If you're on Facebook, I've got a, a, a page here for the Hammer and Umpire podcast. So if you just search that, you can find it and, and be part of that. Um, you can also direct message me through Facebook. I have my own personal, you know, uh, email as or Facebook as well, you know, with uh, Kevin Weber. Uh, you can find that as well, and I, I'll be happy to be friends with you if that's something you want to do. I've got a Twitter account, um, at Kevin R. Weber. That's my personal Twitter. Um, and if you want to follow that, that's fine. Sometimes I'll shoot some umpire-related things out there. I haven't always been on social media as much lately because, one, I've been busy, and and I do think it's a good idea as an umpire to not be too busy on that stuff and definitely uh, posting all of your opinions on everything. You know, if it's kind of uh, neutral kind of things, you know, something baseball or this or that, that's fine. People start getting too political and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I have my political beliefs, believe me, all right? But, uh, one, I don't think people really care what they are. And, two, um, it just is going to cause you trouble. So sometimes it, you're not changing anybody's mind. That's why I look at it. So people are going to believe what they want to believe. It's kind of like coaches, you know. They think you missed the call or they think you got it right. You're not really going to change it. You can explain why you made the call. Well, that's it, you know. If you're, if you're going to try to change people's political beliefs or what what they think about a call or something that happened in a baseball game, you're you're in for a, a losing battle every time. So I, I just don't let that uh, let that get me down. I just move on from there and, and do my thing. So until next time, I hope you guys are healthy and strong and getting some games. And as always, keep calling strikes. <laughs>